Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Across the ASEAN, only on Money FM 89.3. Today on Across the ASEAN, it's all about the banks with some of Southeast Asia's lenders worth watching as various economies reopen and economic activity attempts to normalize after lengthy COVID related lockdowns. Here in Singapore, the banks also hold court for earnings season with UOB and OCBC releasing their third quarter results earlier this morning. Has the asset quality of these two banks improved based on the recent report cards? And what else should we watch out for with regards to some of Singapore's largest lenders and honestly, Southeast Asia's largest lenders at that? Today on Across the ASEAN, we're joined by Ms. Rena Kwok, who is a credit analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. She spent most of the morning looking at the report cards from these two lenders and also is here to show, share with us some of her most recent research on banks in both the Philippines and Thailand. Rena, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to hear you and your loved ones are still safe and in good health during these uncertain times. And welcome to the show. It's been a pleasure to meet you and good afternoon. Thanks for having me, John. It's great to be here as well. All right. So, you know, the results are out. Both UOB and OCBC's net income for the third quarter beating expectations. But I want to focus on asset quality, which, in fairness, has been trending upwards for Singapore's lenders in recent reports. Um, what stood out for you as a credit analyst with regards to the asset quality of both UOB and OCBC? Thanks for the question. I think that's really timely because uh, if we look at their both OCBC and UOB asset quality for the fiscal 2021, they are likely to remain resilient despite possible havens. Now, if we take a look at the third quarter results, both banks' cross non-performing loan ratio actually stood steady at 1.5%. And that being said, spikes to the Singapore lenders' total credit costs are unlikely through the rest of the year. But what needs to be watched is the rising risk in ASEAN. Now, risk for OCBC could actually include further slippages from the vulnerable retail and SME in Malaysia as the bank's moratorium loans in Malaysia rose from 7% to 19% of the country's loans in third quarter amid the extended relief measures. Now, while UOB News performing loan formation was relatively benign in third quarter, OCBC have reported higher slippages due to downgrades of secured consumer loans in Malaysia. If we take a look at the overall um, three banks, we actually feel that DBS could actually persist its lower streak of credit costs and lead in provisions right back with about $800 million in sing dollar in potential, led by stabilizing risk profile. Now, in terms of credit costs and capital provisions, how did these two banks, UOB and OCBC, do based on the results earlier this morning? So in terms of credit costs, as we mentioned, we do not foresee a huge spike to Singapore lenders given that asset quality has stabilized. So in terms of the credit cost trend, both you know, the lenders have actually been moderating the credit costs and they're actually uh, within uh, the expectations or even better. So that is definitely one of the positive uh, credit positive for the Singapore banks. And that being said, we, among the peers, we actually feel that, you know, as mentioned, DBS could actually persist its lowest streak of credit costs and lead in provisions right back given its stabilizing risk profile. So DBS might actually do better than these two with regards to their asset quality standing. Of course, we do know that the results are coming out on Friday morning. 
in terms of you know our performance, we think DBS could actually outperform in terms of provisions right back, and mm. you know it's a couple of factors for that. One is really the stabilizing asset quality that we see, and the second one is DBS have a huge buffer of the management overlay of about eight hundred million in Sing dollars. So, given the stabilizing asset quality, DBS could actually lead the peers in provisions right back into twenty twenty two as well. Oh, very interesting indeed. Now, Rina, one issue for the banks, though, and this has been brought up uh, on quite a number of occasions, actually, in the last few months, is potential exposure to property risks in mainland China. We've seen issues flare up due to China Evergrande's woes out there. In fact, we have one property developer here also having to write off a recent acquisition of a Chinese property developer in recent times. I'm talking about CDL. Everybody, though, has assured from the MAS to DBS's own CEO that the exposure is negl- is minimal. Just h- how much exposure do the banks have and is it worrisome at all? Definitely. I think this is an uh, interesting development that we have been monitoring as well. So, no, why I agree that our possible concerns regarding China's evergreen contingent risk on Singapore banks, the risk of any impact might be relatively soft in our opinion. Now, and this has to be assessed on two fronts. Firstly, in terms of the first order impact, the Singapore banks do not have any direct exposure to Evergrande as they are the principal bankers. And in terms of the direct exposure to Chinese property, that it constitutes about less than 1% of the non-bank loans. And for Singapore property developers with operations in China, that stands about 2.5% of the loans to non-bank customers. Now, what actually warrants a closer look is really the second order of impact. While the slowdown in China, real estate could actually dampen the country's GDP growth. The Singapore Bank's exposure to Greater China is relatively modest, and the Singapore government uh, stability in the financial system. Now, to put things into perspective, in terms of the revenue exposure to Greater China, it's relatively modest, about 8% for DBS, 14% for OCBC, and 10% for UOB. If we look into UOB at mainland China exposure, it constitutes about 6% of the total assets. And bottom of this exposure are actually via its banking sector through the domestic policy banks, through discounted letter of credit. And these are mainly low-risk short-term facilities. In terms of OCBC, about $73 billion in Sing dollar in to Greater China that constitutes about 26% of its loans in the third quarter itself, and of which only $6 billion are to mainland China. And in terms of its Greater China non-performing loan ratio as well, it's actually improved to 0.3% in third quarter, relatively low per se in terms of exposure, right? They are relatively modest. And we look into the provision coverage for the Singapore banks, should there be any stipulations, uh, the Singapore banks are well able to actually cushion other risks. We're still meeting to Rina Kwa, credit analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence here on Across the ASEAN to talk about the outlook for banks across the region amidst the various reopenings and the release of earnings here in Singapore. Yeah. So Rina, you know, I do want to talk about vulnerability among ASEAN banks. And in fact, you're looking a bit more concerned actually about Philippines Philippine banks and their exposure to property risks. Just how vulnerable are they looking based on your reports? And how is this perhaps being reflected in the credit markets? Actually, few the Philippine banks' sizable exposure to the property market may actually be a persistent risk given the country's drawn-out economic recovery. Now, the following property prices could actually drive some of the banks' high LTV mortgages that were actually originated 
during 2019 to 2020 underwater. Now, let's put things into perspective. If we take a look at the average national property prices, it actually posted a negative 9.4 year-on-year uh, growth in second quarter, the steepest decline since 2016. Now, if we look into the Philippine banks, Security Bank could actually face more risk than its peers, largely because of its greater loan exposure to the real estate sector at 21%, uh, surpassing the peer average of about 17%. And in our analysis, we think that the sector impact real estate loans could actually climb to about 6% of the total lending by end 2021 on a sluggish economic recovery in Philippines and a diminished housing affordability. Conversely, you've also uh, released a recent report um, Thai banks, and they, like much of Thailand, is riding on the optimism of the country reopening. What does the reopening plan, though, actually mean for Thailand's largest lenders? And could you identify any potential risks that they might be uh, possessing at the moment as they come out of those very lengthy lockdowns and restrictions? Yes, John, I think this is actually a timely issue. So while the Thailand reopening play actually may bode well for the economy, we think that high banks may still continue to actually face elevated risk given the country's sluggish recovery. And this is partly offset by the bank's robust risk buffers and actually the extended relief measures to 2023. Now, if we take a closer look at the risk to this bank's asset quality, you know, they include slippages from the moratorium loans, the vulnerable SME, and actually the unsecured retail loans amidst Thailand's big economic outlook and the high household debt burden. Now, despite the lower interest rate ceiling for the unsecured personal loans at about 25% right now, the relatively steep rate could still create a debt trap for the debtors with outstanding debt rising more than the amount repaid. Now, if we take a closer look at the major lenders within Thailand itself, we feel that Capsicum Bank seems to be best placed from Thailand's reopening plan as VCD risk and the bank's tight risk control could actually limit further downbeat pressure from SMP, given that the bank's is on negative outlook right now. Mm-hmm. And we take a look at the close-up here, Crumb Thai's superior risk profile might also shrink rating risk from SMP despite its negative outlook. I'd like to thank Rena Kwok, credit analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, for helping us get a better feel of the lay of the land for Southeast Asia's banks, including Singapore's, as we digest the earn- earnings from two of the big three lenders. Rena, as always, I wish you and your loved ones continued health and safety during these uncertain times, and we look forward to the next time we can have you back on the show. Meanwhile... I hope you're having a good Wednesday and a good rest of the week ahead. Thanks, John, for having me. Take care. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.